Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. So we are finishing up this series called One Another, Relationship on uh, Community <laughs> community and Fellowship and Relationships. And so uh, we have you guys in circles. We're going to start out by looking at your table around you and sharing your deepest, darkest secret. I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. Okay. The, the, <laughs> no, no team building right now. Okay. No team building right now. We're just, it's a normal service, but I think it's a great symbol. Uh, and a great way to finish our series on one another to be in this community setting, but also share a meal after the service. So that's why the tables are like this. Also, it's to bring attention to the fact that our life groups do start this week. Um, the the time slot that got the that worked the best for the most people, and I know it's not great for everybody, but it worked the best for the most people is Tuesday at seven. Okay, but for the sake of families with young kids. It's going to last about an hour and a half. So instead of it being 7, we're going to start at 6.30. All right? I've kind of communicated with a few people throughout the week to make sure that was okay. And that's what we're going to do. 7, or Tuesday, 6.30. It will be over by 8. And we'll it's um, we'll unpack how long it'll last and, and the purpose of it and all of that this week. So if you make any of them a priority, make it this week. It's going to be unpacking what the, the small group is and where we're going from there. So please, please, please be there Tuesday at 630 if it's something you are interested in. Today, we're um, finishing up this series and we're talking about something that um, is really, really close to my heart. It's humility. Lucky for you, you guys get to hear me talk about humility. All right, I happen to be an expert in humility. In fact, I'm probably the most humble person I know. Right? Just ask Lauren. Just ask my wife, right? I've got this humility thing figured out. The truth is, the truth is, if anybody claims to have humility figured out, it's obvious that they don't. So I come to you this morning actually with a message that God has been working on in me that I haven't fully figured out. Um, 
A lot of it is inspired from several talks that I actually heard earlier this week at a conference that I was at where God like wrecked me. And so this is very much kind of processing and talking out loud. So if you guys will bear with me, I come to you as a peer more than a leader this morning, okay? So we're talking about humility. I mean, Luke 14, 11 says that for anyone, for everyone that exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I'm just trying to be exalted here, right? That's my goal for being, all right, okay. All right, I'm done with that joke. I've beat it, okay, we're done. Seriously, humility is all over scripture. Um, From 2 Chronicles, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Psalm 25, nine says that he guides the humble and what is right and teaches them his way. Proverbs 22, four says humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Who likes riches, honor and life, right? The way to that is humility. Ephesians 4, two says be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. On and on and on. Scripture teaches that the way to a life that is thriving, the way to a life that is fulfilling, a way to relationships that bring life in in, uh, your reality is an increase in humility. Humility can be the thing that saves your relationship. Humility is being able to, to, to being willing to go first, being willing to serve, being willing to be the first to change, the first to say, I'm sorry. It's a willingness to be wrong. It's a willingness to be right gently. Humility is being willing to learn and improve. It's handling conflict well, which was week one. It's ruthless integrity, which was week two. Setting appropriate boundaries, which was last week. Humility can be the key to each series throughout this message. But I could never unpack all of what humility is. There's so many different layers of it. So what I want to do is I just want to look at one passage and unpack what that passage can teach us about humility and humility in relationships. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Romans chapter 12. Wayne Schmidt, who is the uh, general superintendent for our denomination, like he's the guy in charge, right? He says that Romans 12 gives us the framework for flourishing. Romans 12 is the framework for flourishing. When you look at your life, you want to know how to flourish, unpack and study Romans 12. And I'm inclined to agree. And you know what the main subject of Romans 12 is? Humility, yeah, somebody's paying attention, all right? It's the, the, it, humility is the heartbeat of Romans 12. So let's read it together. I'm going to read specifically verses 1 through 8. It says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each one of us has a body with many members, and these members do all 
do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we through many form one body and each member belongs to all others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then encourage. If it is giving, then give generously. And if it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. There's a very clear pathway that's laid out in these verses. And it starts with God. It starts and ends with God. If we want to learn humility, the first thing I want us to see is that humility is birthed by the Spirit in us. We see in verses one through three, if it kind of to to do a, a brief overview, a brief outline, it's in God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, present yourselves as a living sacrifice and then be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Step one, recognizing God's mercy. This is not something that you can do. This is something that the Holy Spirit does in you. He, cha- he opens your eyes. He opens your heart. He opens your mind. He allows you to see the glory and the love that comes from God. And in that moment, after you recognize and see God's mercy, you are called to surrender your life. Lay it down as a living sacrifice in faith. Even that is only done by the power of the Spirit. It is the Spirit that gives you the ability to surrender your life, to lay it down at the altar. And then you're transformed not by your own power. You're not transformed by your own strength. You're not transformed by any of that. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's not even you that renews your mind. It's God's mercy. It's the Spirit in you. The key to all of this is that you have nothing to do with it. It's God in you. It's recognizing his mercy. It's surrendering in faith and it's being transformed by his renewing of your mind. You don't renew your own mind. You aren't made holy through your own efforts. It's only the grace of God that can transform us. Humility is one of the most important aspects of leadership especially church leadership. And so knowing this, going into being a pastor, going into college, this is something that I wanted to form in my own life. And I would pray for humility. Don't do, be careful if you do that, all right? I would ask mentors, how do you gain humility? How do you gain this ability to be more humble? Which is so, it's a weird dynamic. And we know that, like you, you can't brag about being humble. It's not something you can do on your own. Okay, humility, it's birthed in us by the Spirit. It's not behavior modification. You guys know what I mean by behavior modification? I think about, I have a a two-year-old, all right? You guys have all heard of the terrible twos, all right? My two-year-old, if she doesn't get what she wants, she will scream, You guys have probably heard it, right? She will get very angry. She has all these new emotions that she doesn't really know what to do with. And she will yell and she will cry. And me and Avery had this heart-to-heart moment earlier this week, right? She was livid, tears rolling down her eyes, screaming because she wanted to wear the dirty diaper that I had just taken off of her. She didn't want the clean diaper. And she was laying on Addie Lee's bed where I just changed her diaper, pointing at the dirty diaper, saying she wanted that diaper, yelling and screaming. And I was like, this is not making sense. This is not what we want to see happen. So as parents... 
we want to modify that behavior, right? We want to teach her that that's not the way we handle those emotions. We kind of have a a little bit of a philosophy that we use in these situations, right? So the first thing is we don't give in, all right? We do not negotiate with terrorists, all right? So she's screaming and she's angry. She's wanting the dirty diaper. She does not get to put the dirty diaper back on, all right? She has to wear the clean diaper. I know she wants the orange gummy bear. There's not any orange gummy bears. You get the yellow one. That's the one you get, and we're not going to, you can scream out all you want, You're not going to get the orange one instead of the yellow. We're teaching her that just because you scream and you lash out does not mean that you get your way. Okay, so we do not give in. Listen, we're not perfect. Sometimes sometimes we give in, okay? But don't judge me. All right, so we don't give in. The second thing is we do move in. So while we don't give in, we do move in. We stay close, all right? She's experiencing strong emotions that she doesn't know to do with, what to do with yet. And we want her to know that just because she's doing something that we disapprove of, we still love her and we're not going to leave her, right? I happen to learn that one from Jesus, Right? You may be in a place in your life where you are doing things that he disapproves of, and he may bring discipline. He may let you feel the weight and the consequences of your sin, but he does not leave you. He loves you, and he stays close. So in that moment when Avery is pitching a fit and she's mad, we stay near, but we don't give in. We let her know that we still love her and we are still with her, even though we disapprove of her behavior. We stay calm. Avery does not yet know how to regulate her emotions. So when she's lost control, listen, if you've ever been in a situation where you're mad and you've lost control, none of us handle ourselves well. Even a two-year-old, even a 32-year-old, going to be 33 next week, okay? So whatever it is, we don't handle ourselves once we've lose control. So as in the young age of our kids, we're trying to teach them once control is lost, How do we bring ourselves back out? How do we regulate? How do we bring ourselves back into that control? So we stay calm. We take a deep breath. This is how you do it. Stop crying. I can't hear you when you're crying. You got to communicate what's going on. We try to communicate the emotions we think she's feeling, right? So she's angry because she wants to wear the dirty diaper. So I'm like, okay, you're angry, right? Because you don't want to wear the dirty diaper, right? So I'm trying to communicate. So she knows what's happening because our goal is behavior modification. We want her to... when she experiences anger, not to lash out with the, with the screaming and the yelling and the crying. We want her to be able to clearly, calmly communicate her anger, right? Something I think we all can learn a lesson of. And so we're trying to teach that. Now, like I said, she's two. My oldest is five. I'll write the book in 20 years. All right? Actually, the book's already been written. I'm reading it. That's where these things are coming from. Right? I don't know if it's going to work. I'm not a parenting expert. These are things that we're attempting to do, and we don't always get it right. But I tell you this story because I want you to see that behavior modification is not bad. It's a good thing. It's something we try to do with our children. It's something we try to do in our own lives. We can, I can moderate my snacking habits by not buying the Twinkies, all right? Not having the fattening food in the cabinet. Instead, pre-cutting up the vegetables and the fruit and putting them in an easily visible place in the refrigerator. Having healthy snacks instead of the unhealthy ones. I can modify my bad snacking with those actions. Or, or if you have 
bad habit of wasting time. You can modify your time management by creating a schedule and sticking to it or a bad use of money. You can modify your spending habits by creating a budget and sticking to it. Behavior modification is a good thing. It can be a great tool, but not every behavior can be modified like that. Not every behavior can be changed by just creating certain boundaries and taking certain actions. Some things have to be birthed inside of us by the Holy Spirit. If you've ever struggled with any kind of addiction, you've probably told yourself a thousand times you were going to quit and not do it again. If you've ever struggled with some kind of temperament, maybe you get anger too easily, or maybe you, you say sorry when it's not even your fault and you apologize over and over again and you, and you treat it like a doormat because you let people walk all over you. If you've ever tried to modify those deep-seated behaviors, chances are you know how difficult it can be. And there's some things in your life that you can't just change by willing it to do better. There are times in our life where behavior modification will not work and humility is just like those things. Humility must be changed by God inside of us. I've told this story before a few times, so I apologize to those who have been around for a while and heard it. Um, But we do have some new faces in here, so you guys get to hear it for the first time. (laughs) I uh, can remember early on, Um, Being in high school, following Jesus, not really know what to do, but being taught that I had to follow all these rules. So I'm like, I'm going to read my Bible, right? And so I can remember sitting on my bed in high school. I have my Bible. I don't really know where to start, what I should do, but I know that like Proverbs is a list of instructions for how you should live. And that's what I think at this time. So like, I open up Proverbs. I'm going to read Proverbs. I'm going to read through the whole book. And so as I get into Proverbs, I'm reading it, and I don't even get to the wisdom part. I don't even get to where there's all those quick little verses that teach you how to live life. I'm just in the beginning part where it's unpacking the value of wisdom and what it means to be wise and how wise can, being wise can help you in your life. And so I'm like, in that moment, I'm like, I need to be wise. Leaders are wise. People who influence other people are wise. And so I just pray, like I begin praying right there that, that God will make me a wise person, that, that I can have this interchange in my, and that as I'm talking and communicating with people, that I can be a wise person. And that's my goal. I want to I wanna impact people with my wisdom. And so I'm praying that God would do that in me. And he does. I can remember as I go through life and having friends who have, situations that they're dealing with and being able to give them advice that helped them. I can remember growing in wisdom and I grew in this and it grew in me and and there's different things in my life that that kind of helped refine that. But what ended up happening was I ended up becoming very judgmental, right? I would look at people and I'm like, here's their list of problems and here's the list of ways to fix it. And I could offer unsolicited advice, which never ended well, right? And God refined that in me. And there was multiple times, especially when I first got into college where the Lord broke me and showed me all my own sin and I completely changed my judgmental outlook on the world. But as that was, to skip a lot of the story, as that was refined, I continue to grow in wisdom, but I don't continue to grow in humility. Then I meet a girl and we get married and we have some amazing years together We add a couple of kids to the mix, and the whole time, I am growing in wisdom. And as anybody knows, if you've been married for any amount of time, you know that you quickly learn areas where your spouse needs to change, right? right? 
And I became an expert in the areas where Lauren needed to change. And she was lucky to be married to someone so wise. I also didn't like conflict. So if I could tell Lauren where she needed to change without having the hard conflict and the hard conversation, it was a win-win, right? And I also have this, we'll call it a gifting, to be extremely witty, right? And so in our relationship, I became wisely witty, if that's a thing, right? And I would have these comments. I would see these areas where Lauren needed to improve, and I would let her know through these quick, fast, short comments that would teach her how she should change her behavior. Okay, you guys know exactly where this is going, all right? So, so I, would, I would make these comments, and she wouldn't respond. And I was like, she's getting it. <laughs> she gets it. She knows what I'm talking about. And my, in my wisdom, she was growing. I was doing a great job being her husband and showing her how to change. Meanwhile, little did I know, you've heard the, the phrase, death by a thousand cuts. And I had preached so many times. This still, I mean, it makes me choked up even now. I've preached so many times that you can speak life with your tongue or you can speak death. And in my own marriage, I was speaking death. And I had no idea. I was completely blind to it. And yeah, we weren't on the edge of divorce. Our marriage wasn't falling apart, but I'm sure that years down the road, it would have resulted there. If it weren't for this one anniversary, we're sitting down at dinner, city pharmacy, right on the corner up here. And I ask her, what is one thing you could change about me? If you could change anything about me, what would it be? And I'm expecting, you know, like, well, I wish you were better at lawn care. Look, I hired a guy, okay? Not great at lawn care. Maybe, maybe something manly, like I wish you could work on cars more. Or, or maybe something clean, like I wish you wouldn't put the clothes that aren't too dirty for the hamper, but aren't too clean for the drawer over here in this clothes purgatory, as we've talked about, right? Maybe you would, if you could just clean up your clothes a little bit. These are the, this is what I was expecting when I asked her that question. If you could change anything about me, what would it be? But we're sitting there at the meal, and she looks at me, tears in her eyes. She says, I wish I could change the way you see me. I'm like, what? I mean, you're my wife. You're beautiful. I love you. You're funny. You're fun. You're a great mother. Like, what do you mean you wish you could change the way I see you? She's like, I don't want to ask you what you would change about me because I know. And she listed off all these things that bothered me about her because I had spent years cutting her down, comment after comment, sucking the life out of our marriage, belittling her, and it broke me. Dinner was awkward. Our waitress kept coming over. She's like, do you want dessert? I'm like, I'm crying. She's crying. I'm like, no, we just, we need to finish this meal and get out of here. Trying to hold it together. We get in the car and I just lose it because I could have been defensive. I could have been like, no, I'm, I, I don't, I see you. I could have fought her on that. But the Holy Spirit in me broke me. I was able to see the error in my pride. I was able to see that I wasn't wise at all. I was prideful and I was belittling and cutting down my wife. 
in that moment, it was the Holy Spirit that made the change in me. And I know it was the Holy Spirit because it wasn't overnight. It was something that we had to work on. And even to this day, it's, there's times where I have to be like, I have to check myself because I'll make a comment and I'm like, you know what? That came out of bitterness. Here's what's bothering me. We have to have a real hard, tough conversation. And it's something that the Lord is working on in me. Humility is not something you can change yourself. There are things in your life that only God can change. And this is great if, if you've got people in your life that, that have things that really bother you about them. It's not your job to change them. You don't have the ability to go in and change their behavior. There are things that only the Holy Spirit in them can change. You want to see the change in people in your life. You want to see the impact in those relationships. Instead of working on them, why don't we get down on our knees and ask the Holy Spirit to do a good work in them? Jesus said it in John 17. He said, I have completed the work that the Father gave me. He is the one that makes the change in us. It's the Holy Spirit in us. There are things in our life where we are transformed by the inner working of God, not by the outer working of our own actions. Yes, it could be humility. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's a temperament. Whatever it may be, there are things in our lives that are only transformed by the Holy Spirit, birthing it in us. He creates us new. It's a new life in us. It's not behavior modification. So if we're going to be humble, we have to realize that it starts with Christ. It starts with God. It starts with the Holy Spirit in us. The second thing we see is it has to do with authority. Humility has is it's stewarding authority. If you look at verses three through eight, you see that, that Paul says by the grace that is given to him, that he gives his instructions. You know, I'm just going to read it. For by, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And he goes on this tan this tangent, if you want to call it that, about the church and being a body and having all these different members. And he talks about being gifted. It says that God distributed by a measure of faith. God distributed this measure of faith to each one. Verse six says that according by the grace given to us, we have different gifts. So what we see is that whenever you look at authority in scripture, authority is always transferred. It's always transferred to someone. It's not something that somebody gets on their own. It starts with God and is transferred. You can look at the, the Garden of Eden, where God gives authority to Adam and Eve. You can look at, at the covenants that God makes in the Old Testament with uh, Moses and Noah and Abraham. You can read the Gospels and see how Jesus talks over and over again about the authority that has been given to him by the Father. And then we see in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, that Jesus came near and he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, then go therefore. See, humility, the dark side of humility, the underbelly of humility is insecurity. And there's been many times in my life where people have told me, you know what, in an attempt to honor and encourage me, that they, want to, they comment on my humility. And on the inside, when they say that, it kills me because what I know that they don't, is that I'm not humble at all, but I'm actually incredibly insecure. I'm thinking about myself 
and how I don't want people to look at me different or to be mad at me or see me as a screw up because of a, of a mistake that I made. So I'm quick to apologize or to not take credit for something. Or even I don't attempt it at all. I don't attempt the things that God's called me to do because I'm afraid of myself, what would happen to my image. That's not humility. That is insecurity. In this passage, we are told that we as individuals are gifted, that we're to to, to think of ourselves not higher than we should, but with sober mind. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't think of yourself highly. It just means you should be real about it. God has gifted you. He ends the passage talking about encouragement and mercy and generosity and leading and all those different gifts that God has given to the church for the church's edification, for the building of the church. God gives you that authority. But when we get insecure, we don't walk in that authority because we're afraid of what might happen or the way people might look at us. People are often robbed of a work of God because others will not walk in the authority that's given them, given to them. We see it in, in Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, or even our passage, how gifts are distributed to the church. That is you. You have been gifted by God. You have been gifted to serve the church and advance the kingdom. That authority has been a transferred to you. The question is, how do we handle that authority being transferred? You guys know that I work part-time at a bank. My uh, There's two managers, the way it kind of functions, there's two managers. One of my managers lost her job. The other manager went on vacation. So we were without leadership, without supervision, without a manager. Things go happen in the bank. Customers get angry. They want to speak to a manager. What do we do in that situation? Well, they took the person with the most authority. So he's been through all kinds of training. He can approve transactions for like a million dollars. Like, so he's got the, the highest level of authority. So what they did is they transferred the authority that belonged to the managers to him. He was now in charge. We walk in one day, one manager's gone. The other manager's on vacation. This guy's in charge, a peer in charge. You can imagine not everything ran smoothly, and the, but there was a question in that moment. He had been given authority. How would he handle it? For you and I, we have been given authority. How are we going to handle it? Insecurity shows itself in two ways. I'm I'm coming to an end, okay? Insecurity shows itself in two ways. The first one is by downplaying the authority. It's by saying, you know what? I'm not good enough. I will never succeed. I don't have anything to add. I'll only make things worse. That is not humility. That is insecurity. Going back to a quote from Wayne Schmidt, he says this, humility is not downplaying your authority, but rather stewarding the authority that has been given to you. God has given you that. How are you going to handle it? Insecurity can also show itself by puffing up our authority, right? I'm in charge. I'm the expert. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't want people to see that I don't know what I'm doing. I have, I have to have all of this figured out. So you better step back. I don't need you. I'll belittle anyone who threatens my authority. This is the opposite side, but it is still insecurity. Dr. Schmidt has another quote saying that celebrity is the prostitution of credibility, You've been given credibility, you've been given authority, but when we puff ourselves up, when we puff ourselves up, we're showing our insecurity. We're not stewarding what God has given us. Whether it's downplaying a gift, 
to avoid the pain of failure or puffing up yourself so others don't see the real you. When we lack humility, we fix our eyes on us and it robs us and those who we are in relationship with of the power of a move of God. So how do we handle humility? If if humility is not behavior modification, but a work that's done in us, and if humility is stewarding authority that's been given to us, how do we handle it? We handle it like Jesus. And I'm not going to preach a whole other message on this passage. I'm just going to let Scripture speak for itself here. This is Philippians 2, verses 4 through 8. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humility. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus had all authority in heaven, but he chose in that authority to empty himself and serve. He laid down his life so that we could have life. You want to see God in your relationships? Recognize the authority that has been transferred to you and pray that the Holy Spirit will birth in you humility to steward that authority well. It's all for the glory of God and the building up of others. Don't think of yourself less, but think of, think, hold on, I messed that up. Don't think less of yourself, but think of yourself less. That's C.S. Lewis. I wasn't in my notes, so now you see what happened. You don't have to belittle yourself, and you don't have to pump yourself up. You can rely on Christ, because he's the one that makes the change in you, and he's in the one that can make the change in your community. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, It's all for your glory. It's all for the praise of you. I echo the prayer from earlier in the the song during our time of prayer, that you would be magnified. You'd be magnified in the way that we serve and love one another. You'd be magnified in the way that we act in humility. Lord, I pray that that you would birth that in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you.